morning. I'm Lanny Holbrook, reading from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 7. <clears throat> so I exhort you, elders among you, as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing, and God will have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lanny. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you can be all to us, that you have made yourself accessible to us in that way, that you have not looked upon our helpless state as sheep who have no shepherd, but Christ, you have come as the good shepherd, and laid down your life for we, your sheep. Lord, as we look to your word now, may we find comfort, but may we also find challenge to not be complacent where we are, but to press on looking to the glory that is yet to be revealed. For your glory, God, and for our good, we pray these things. Amen. If you haven't noticed, our culture is one that's a little bit obsessed with status. Anybody notice this? No? No? I didn't think so. But particularly with a certain kind of status. Celebrity status has come to the fore, especially in Western American culture. Uh, TV shows feature famous people simply who are famous for being famous, right? Pro athletes and singers are trusted in their historical and often political analysis, not because of their thoughtfulness in these areas, just because of the size of their platform. Social media influencers are trusted as theologians, medical experts, and sociologists, simply because they might have a blue check by their name and have a massive number of followers. But y'all, help me here. When did celebrity pastors become a thing? Seriously, you know, you know the ones I'm referring to. I'm sure you do. Those who wear a different pair of Air Jordans every Sunday when they preach. 
costs upwards of $1,000, yeah, whose incomes rival that of Hollywood actors and actresses, and whose church buildings resemble stadiums. Now, of course, there have been many, many well-known preachers through the years who have drawn large crowds, not for any reason other than their faithfulness in preaching the gospel, fidelity to God's word. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I was up here, Charles Spurgeon, my personal favorite, he preached in the mid-1800s. Um, he is a big-name preacher and drew huge crowds regularly when he preached in London and abroad. Jesus himself drew crowds of more than 10,000 at times. So let me be clear, a pastor's following alone, the size of the crowds they preach to, does not clarify that pastor's faithfulness. And praise God, praise God for those who have large platforms and in those platforms maintain fidelity to the gospel. But over the past decade or so, this concept of celebrity pastor has risen to new heights and has become increasingly celebrated among Christian culture. And much like the Kardashians, many of these high-profile preachers are famous for being famous personalities, not for being faithful pastors. The culture's obsession with celebrities has undeniably influenced and infiltrated the church. In our ever-increasing digitized age, many who claim to preach the gospel seem more focused on building their personal brand than building up the saints. More interested in the traffic on their posts than the truthfulness of what they preach. I'm sure we all can name a famous preacher that we know, and we have even benefited from faithful teaching from that preacher. But I got a question for you. Can anybody name a famous shepherd? Fair. David, sure. Jesus, yes. But today, anybody know anybody? Is there any shepherd that is highlighted on TV, that is highlighted on social media, that movies are being made about? I can't think of one. I'm guessing you can't either. And yet this is the picture that the New Testament paints of a faithful leader in the church. Not one of celebrity, but of a shepherd. It is by no mistake that though shepherding has never really been a glamorous status, even David, oh, he's just the little one watching the sheep. Even though it's not glamorous, it is how the Lord describes his relationship to his people over and over and over again in Scripture. And this is also the role that God gives to the leaders among his people. Now, if anyone in the early church had reached the status of celebrity pastor, it's probably Peter. Think about it. 
Peter was first among the disciples to confess Jesus to be the Messiah. And Jesus declared to Peter that he would build his church upon Peter's confession. Pretty good, right? It was also Peter who stood up to boldly preach at Pentecost, and 3,000 souls in a single day were added to the church. Acts 5 also tells us that the sick were brought from all the towns around Jerusalem and laid in the streets of the city just in hopes that Peter's shadow would fall upon them and they would be healed. Pretty high profile. And yet when Peter writes this letter that we have been looking at for many months now and are getting towards the end to, and here as he addresses specifically in the beginning the elders among these people, he does so not as a celebrity, but as a fellow servant of the chief shepherd. Let's look in verse 1 and consider again what he's written to them. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Through his own massive failures and Jesus' gracious restoration of Peter, Peter had come to understand that the only one worthy of fame is the chief shepherd, Jesus the Christ. And it is from this understanding that Peter's exhortation comes, not as one who is greater than these that he writes to, these elders that he is addressing, not lording over them, but as a fellow elder. What legitimizes Peter's apostolic exhortation in these verses is not Peter himself, not his status, but it is the one who exhorted him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Tend my sheep, Peter. If you love me, care for my sheep. And so Peter passes on this same exhortation, this same instruction that he had heard directly from the mouth of the shepherd and overseer of their souls. He passes this on to his fellow elders. In verses 2 and 3, he goes on to write, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The role or office that here is translated as elder um, most often refers to those who serve as pastors. Um, in addition to the men who work um, full-time as vocational pastors, some churches also have what we call lay elders or lay pastors um, who have full-time vocational obligations outside of the church, but who serve the church still in a pastoral and shepherding manner. Um, here at Alberta Baptist, if you're not familiar, uh, Pastor KJ and myself serve in this full-time vocational pastor role. And while ABC does not currently have an office for lay elders, we are extremely blessed as a church to have men, many of whose names I know come to your mind as I'm saying this, that function very much like elders in this church. 
as they have taken on various shepherding responsibilities among you, teaching, exercising oversight for the good of the flock. Pastor KJ and myself, that we take this, this responsibility very seriously that has been entrusted to us as we tend the flock here at ABC. Not only because of our responsibility to you, the congregation, but all the more because of our responsibility to the Lord. For it is his flock that we shepherd and not our own. Our shepherding is a stewardship, not an ownership. And this is what Peter is drawing out for the shepherds here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We who, will she- we who shepherd will one day have to give an account to the chief shepherd for how we tended the sheep that have been entrusted to our care. And for this very reason, um, James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James 3, verse 1. Shepherds must exercise great care for God's sheep. First, because they belong to God. They belong to Christ. But also because it is from among the sheep that the Lord raises up his under-shepherds most often. Think about this. Shepherd the flock of God among you. I am writing to the elders among you that Peter emphasizes. They are among the sheep who who are to shepherd the flock of God. And this should go without saying, but faithful shepherding is possible only if shepherds are among their flocks, right? There was no long-distance shepherding back in the day. Guess what? Nothing's changed. For us to be truly shepherded and for those of us who have been called to shepherd to truly exercise that role, We must have an intimate knowledge of the flock entrusted to us. And again, we are among that flock. The faithful shepherd has this intimate knowledge. He knows when something is broken and needs binding among the sheep. He knows when sheep begin to stray. He knows when they are ready to move from milk to solid food. A shepherd knows the needs of the sheep he cares for because he spends time with them, and because, again, he is one of them. By virtue of being an under-shepherd under Jesus, we do not all of a sudden snap our fingers and become where we're not sheep anymore. We still must be shepherded by the good shepherd. Leadership within the world is so often self-serving. But for those who come from the sheep, all the more, We should be those who, within the church, lead and serve in a way that is self-denying. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, in Luke 9, 23, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And if this is true for every follower of Christ, and it is, how much more should it be true for those in positions of leadership? The faithful shepherd recognizes his role as a steward and denies himself any claim of authority from himself or possession over the sheep. 
He is one of them. The best of shepherds are the ones who have served the church before they're ever given a title. Who are given those opportunities and take them willingly and eagerly. As Peter says, these fellow elders should serve their flocks. The faithful shepherd denies his own personal ambition to instead willingly serve both the sheep and the chief shepherd. The faithful shepherd eagerly tends the flock, denying the lust for selfish and shameful gain. Say that five times fast. The faithful shepherd does not lord over the sheep, but sets an example, leading others in humble obedience to God by being himself humbly obedient to God. Shepherds care for the sheep by knowing them, getting to know what their needs are, They tend the sheep by walking alongside them in difficult times, times of loss, times of hardship. Shepherds feed the sheep. Yes, we are Baptists, and this includes potlucks and Wednesday night feast days, but all the more we feed the sheep through the word of God. For it is not by bread alone that we are to live, but by every mouth that comes from the word of God. Shepherds protect the sheep from wolves, that come from without or that come from within. Even as Paul warns the Ephesian church before he leaves. These, these wolves that rise up or come from without come to devour the flock for their own selfish gain. And they come to pull away the sheep with their false teaching. Shepherds guard the sheep from such. And shepherds guide the sheep with pastoral counsel and discernment that comes, again, not of themselves, but of the chief shepherd. The way to spot a false shepherd, on the other hand, is to look at who's getting fed. Look at who's getting fed. No one ever paid to hear Jesus preach. He's our model, right? And yet this past November, front row seats in the Kia Forum in Inglewood, California, to hear Elevation Church pastor Stephen Furtick preach, topped $1,000. Are dry wallets of the sheep the goal of the shepherd? If so, he's a wolf. Make no mistake. If a pastor's focus is on feeding himself and tending himself, he is no pastor. He's a wolf. And Ezekiel 34 gives us a chilling warning about this. Verse 2 says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds Feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. 
They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, verse 9 says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. False shepherds who feed themselves and starve the sheep, or in some cases, feed them poison of false doctrine, should soberly consider the terror of the phrase, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against such shepherds. And little flock, we need to be on our guard that we are not led astray by such wolves and dragged away. The key phrase for how faithful pastors, faithful men should shepherd is found right here in the middle of verse 3. As God would have you. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We must rely on the good shepherd at every turn. The sheep should hear the voice of the good shepherd in the words of his under-shepherds. Proper care for the sheep flows out of our relationship and our love for Christ. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? His answer, and I would assume every man who desires to be a faithful shepherd of God's flock would say, yes. What is Jesus' response? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Of course. Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Absolutely I do. Feed my sheep. If we truly love Christ, then we, Shepherds and sheep alike will love what he loves. And Christ does not merely love his sheep, but he laid down his life to redeem them. Whether we are shepherds in the church or not, we will all at times fail to love, though, what Christ loves. And instead, we will love what the world loves. It's easy for us to be seduced by the world's definitions of power and success. Even Jesus' disciples were not immune to this. As Jesus said to them in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 42, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But, Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The proper way to be great among God's people is to make ourselves low and to serve according to the example 
and the command of Christ, our good shepherd, who willingly laid down his life for his sheep. How different the world would be if leadership of every global organization took this approach. How different would our country be if all our elected officials took this approach? How different our churches would be if all pastors and shepherds took this approach? Shepherding is difficult work, but the reward is beyond anything this world can offer. Look with me at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's another good way to discern the difference between a false pastor and a faithful one. And it's to look to where they're laying up treasure. The chief shepherd had no earthly possessions and no place to lay his head. Then tell me, Jesse Duplantis, why does any pastor need a private jet? Tell me, Joel Osteen, why does any pastor need a 17,000 square foot mansion? Tell me, Mike Todd, why does the attire of any pastor need to exceed $5,000 on a given Sunday from head to toe? We can discern a pastor's motives by looking at who is getting fed, but we can also see something of their hearts by looking to where their treasures are. For false shepherds, those whose aim is to build their brand and lay up treasure in this life to glory in the things that are transient, the things that are temporal, my bad, these things that are here on earth, they have their reward. Hope it was worth it. But faithful shepherds lay up treasures in heaven and await the glory that is to be brought to them, a crown from the chief shepherd himself. Peter set his hope on partaking of this glory that is yet to be revealed. And he encourages his fellow elders to do the same. Shepherding in this manner requires so much grace from the Lord. And as one who has been given this huge privilege, I covet your prayers. And I know that Pastor KJ does as well, as do the men in this church that serve like elders. It also, in addition to so much grace, requires so much humility from us. But humility is not something that is required only of leaders in the church, is it? If we look at verses 5 and 6, what does Peter say? He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. In the world, young and upcoming leaders, talented folks like that, often look for their opportunity to supplant those who currently op occupy the position that they want. But it must not be so in the church. Rather, 
God has ordered things so that just as leaders are to set an example of humility for those who follow them, those who aspire to be leaders must also humbly subject themselves to godly leaders that the Lord has already established. It is a good thing for men, and especially for young men, to aspire to the office of overseer or elder. The church today, perhaps more than ever, needs men who are willing and eager to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Amen? We need faithful under-shepherds who want to serve the flock, not out of love for themselves and their own glory, but out of love for and loyalty to the good shepherd and to the flock for whom they come from. But those who would serve must not seek to promote themselves, but wait for the proper time when God will exalt them. As we've seen in 1 Peter over the last few weeks, especially from Pastor KJ's sermons on suffering, the way to joy is through suffering. Today, we need to also see that the way to glory is through humility. This is not true for those who are only to be leaders or who are leaders, but for all believers. Every Christian, not everyone in the church will teach or preach or exercise oversight, but all are instructed to be humble. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he instructs them to have the same humble mindset that Christ has. Where in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, doesn't end there. Praise God the cross isn't the end, right? But therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the na- at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ displays for us the greatest act of humble obedience. As God became man and served us filthy sinners, giving his life for us. And because of this, his humility is met with the highest of exaltation from the Father. Christians are promised that when we share in Christ's humility, we also get to share in his glory. Humble yourselves, verse 6 says, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may be the one who exalts you. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We've been talking a lot about humility 
But have you ever noticed that sometimes humility can kind of be kind of a little bit hard to come by? Unless, of course, you're like me and you're the most humble person you know. I'm kidding, right? Humility is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult because it requires us to put our trust in another. To rely on something, or in some cases we may rely on someone else to exalt us, instead of seeking to exalt ourselves. This is humility. And this can often lead to anxiety in us. Anxiety that we may never make it out of our suffering if we don't do something. Anxiety that our leaders may exploit or oppress us. Anxiety that things are out of our control and how often that is true. But ultimately, all of our worries have one thing in common. Doubt that God truly cares for us. And this goes all the way back to the garden at the tree of knowledge of good and evil where Satan says, did God really say Isn't God holding out on you? Could it be that he has some really good thing he just wants to keep to himself? Our worries cause us to doubt God. Our anxiety leads us to not trust him. And this is why worry is a sin, the Bible says. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us that the pagans are those who worry about things. But believers should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that he knows our every need better than we do, and he will supply them perfectly from his grace. Now, before I go on and we conclude today, let me be very clear to distinguish the difference that exists between our worries and anxieties that rise up from time to time that are ultimately a lack of trust in God, That is on one side. And on the other hand, what is an anxiety disorder? We need to be very clear about this, church. Some people do have disorders that result from the the reality that all of us in our bodies and minds, in one way or another, are in a state of corruption under the curse of sin. Too much or too little of a hormone can be something that needs treatment. Just as my type 1 diabetic self needs insulin, okay? And we should be grateful for the grace that modern medicine can be in this area. But having such a disorder should never for a second allow us to make excuses or think that none of our worry could ever possibly come from our sinful distrust of God. In fact, it's oftentimes the opposite that's true. That an anxiety disorder often proves to be a vulnerability that the enemy or our own flesh can easily inflame and target to cause us to lose faith in the Lord. The enemy doesn't play fair. He doesn't play by the rules. He's out to kill and steal and destroy And whatever our proclivities to sin are, whatever our vulnerabilities is, you better believe he will exploit them. This cannot ever, though, 
be an excuse not to put our whole hope in Christ, ever. It should never be an excuse not to address the sin of worry, but a reason to take it all the more seriously. Just as the recovering alcoholic should not allow himself to be exposed and tempted to take a drink, those who struggle with an anxiety disorder should not neglect to cast their anxieties on the shepherd and overseer of their souls. And they should set their thoughts on the things that Paul talks about in Colossians 3 that are above, seated in heaven where Christ is. But all of us, all of us need to cling to the truth of 1 Peter 5-7. Each of us needs to take comfort and find our comfort in the rod and staff of the good shepherd because he cares for us. Our lack of trust in the good shepherd will produce anxiety, but there is joy and there is security in humbly believing this truth that Christ cares for us better than we care for ourselves. That he knows our needs more deeply than we know them. That he knows our frailties and our proclivities to sin far better than we ever could. And he is the one who cares for us. The Greek literally translates, your anxieties are a care to him. He cares for you. Never doubt it. And when you do, go directly to the good shepherd who declares his love for you. A love that sent him to the agonizing death on the cross. A failure to humbly entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is ironically what both the self-exalting shepherd and the anxious sheep share in common. A lack of trust in the good shepherd. Beloved, if we would trust that our souls are eternally secure in Christ, we can certainly have confidence that Christ is more than able to handle whatever would cause us anxiety in this life from day to day. So as we conclude... My fellow shepherds, may we humbly serve the chief shepherd well, not seeking our own glory, but the glory of the king of kings, not seeking our own good, but the good of the flock. And when our Lord Jesus returns, may we receive the unfading crown of glory and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. My fellow sheep, may we know and humbly follow and trust the voice of the good shepherd. Spoken through faithful pastors. May we cast our anxieties on the Lord, knowing that no one is able to snatch us out of his mighty hand, the hand that one day will raise us up in glory. 
And may all of us clothe ourselves with humility toward one another and toward our good shepherd who deserves all the glory for he is worthy of it. And trust that at the proper time, he will exalt us. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, how tempted we are to promote ourselves in hopes of gaining the glory that you have already bought for us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for how we look to ourselves instead of to you to provide our needs. But Father, thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you have laid down your life for us, your sheep, and that we can come to you humbly repenting of every sin and find restoration and redemption every single time. Thank you that no matter the suffering, no matter the anxiety that floods our life, Lord, you are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Lord, teach us to set our hearts to set our minds not on the treasures of this world, but on that treasure, the treasure of your presence forevermore. And God, may you receive all the glory due your name through our lives as we follow you, our good shepherd.